0: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you make your way there, I want you to uh, take a moment and look at this little clip. I'll be talking about it while you look at it. But uh, what you're about to see is a habu. And July the 5th, it started at Tucson without warning, out of nowhere... Swept uh, 60, mi- it moved at 60 miles per hour through Phoenix, blowing down trees and up to two miles high at times, and one mile high when it hit and rolled over Phoenix. It was 50 to 100 miles wide, followed by impressive uh, lightning, huge cloud of dirt and sand and dust traveling at 60 miles an hour. Go back short again, Ken. Uh, that was an ominous sight. To so we'll see something that large, nothing but dirt, move across a city, overwhelming the tallest of buildings. The aftermath was indescribable. The, the the cleanup was massive. Every surface was coated, cars, pools, buildings, even houses. It blew into houses and buildings. And no one really saw it coming. A habub is a term that means a terrible storm. As I thought about this in Phoenix, we were just in Phoenix three weeks ago with the Southern Baptist Convention. And I'm glad it didn't happen then. Uh, Because I was there and I was in one of those buildings that it would have covered over and just been an uh, unbelievable experience to watch. And so as we look at it, never mind. We won't look at it again. It was just too much. To, once was enough. Uh, but I want you to know that that wall of dirt moving 60 miles an hour was a horrifying event. No one was ready for it. Now, I say that because the truth is sometimes we feel we have days like that, don't we? That's how my life is. a hubbub that showed up, didn't know it was coming. And it sure is bigger than me. This is what Paul's talking about in, in 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthian church. He writes these words in verse 7. Now we have this treasure in clay, so that his extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are, I want you to pay, cl- pay close attention to verse 8. We are pressed in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair we are persecuted but not abandoned, we are struck down but not destroyed. Amazing words here. The truth is, when dilemmas and difficulties and disasters happen, why me often is the question. As a matter of fact, when everything seems to be going wrong, do you ever want to scream out, why me? Yes, you do. Whether you've ever said it out loud or not, you do. Because the reason I know that is because that question was asked. That's why Paul's answering it. Perhaps even Paul asked it at one time. Lord, why is this happening to me today? Why is this happening to me again? Why, why am I going through this? Why is this a part of my life today? We've been there. We may have never said it out loud, but we certainly have thought it. Lord, why is this happening to me? What is going on? What is going on? So, as I look at this... I want to try to answer that with the three explanations from God's Word. I'm convinced that life can be hard and pressured and perplexed. Persecution abounds and even being struck down and knocked down no matter how hard you try. You take something like one step forward and two steps back. It seems to be the normal for life today. We get hit by bad news and more bad news and even more bad news. Life becomes hard. Why me? Why us? Why now? You know, I'm amazed. There was three guys in the Bible. There were three, what I call superheroes of the faith. One of them was Moses. And because his life becomes so overwhelmed and he become so overcommitted, he cries out to God in despair saying, God, if this is the way my life's going to be the rest of my days, go ahead and kill me. And Elijah, that great prophet of God, who saw fire come down from heaven, he says to God, after running across the desert, he said, God, if this is all that's going to be the rest of my days, go ahead and take me home. In other words, why am I going through this, God? I don't understand. And, of course, we all know about Job. My goodness, Job said, Lord, if this is my life, let me die. Because it's more pain than I can endure. Although we know that it wasn't. And Job found out it wasn't. You see, the thing is, why, when everything seems to be going wrong, do we ever want to scream, why me? You bet we do. So let's see if we can answer why perhaps you're going through what you're going through, why you've gone through what you've gone through, or why you're going to be going through what you're going to be going through. All right? So here we go. Here's what he says. First and foremost, the devil's delight as he uses schemes and methods to attack and disrupt Our spiritual journey. You see, the first explanation is the devil delights in making our life miserable. He just enjoys it. He likes it. He loves it when you hurt as a follower of Christ. If you name the name of Christ, if you're committed to Christ, you see, we think when we love Jesus and do all we're supposed to do that things are great. No, the devil just gets mad at you. And he comes after you. Matter of fact, Ephesians 6 10 11 tells us that we must be strong in the Lord because the devil has orchestrated a world system with methods and schemes to affect negatively my life and my spiritual journey. His sole delight is to derail me in my journey for Christ. He desires to get me off track, he desires to impact me negatively. He loves it. He loves it when I hurt. He loves it when I'm discouraged. He loves it when I have despair. He loves it when I feel like I don't want to go on. He loves that stuff. And that's why he keeps pouring on. That's why there's no such thing as a a real church without trouble. Every church has got problems. Because the devil don't like us. He comes after us. And so that's why every Christian home has struggles, because the devil doesn't like your home because you stand on Christ. He doesn't like that. So he desires somehow to get you off base, try to pick you off. And so Paul is saying, I've understood that my life has these dilemmas and difficulties and disasters, but I am not beaten. I am not destroyed. And I think that's so important. His disdain for us is very real. The devil hates us. Satan's disdain is very real. He has schemes and methods that are very finely tooled to attack us. And yet we've been told we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we use to fight him off. And that's why it is so important as a believer in Christ, you know what this book says. Because this is your weapon. If you don't have a word... From the Lord, a word of faith to deal with the problems of the day, you're at a disadvantage. You're at, I mean, you're just going to get beat up. And you got nothing to fight back with. I know you say, I love Jesus, and man, I I know you do, but he's given you a sword to use. And if you don't know how to use it, if you don't know how to take the verses and begin to cut the devil back where it hurts, you're going to be beat up. And now it could be the reason you're going through what you're going through is the Lord wants to teach you something from his word that you can use in the days ahead. So we understand that we have the Word of God and the work of faith that allows us to fight through the schemes and methods. We begin to see through the things. And and we begin to realize we have to combat this, this satanic order and organization that literally hates us. But I don't have to be destroyed. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I don't have to be afraid of the dark. So here's what I know. I know that not only is it Satan's disdain, but also Satan's desire. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is talking to Peter. He seemed to always be talking to Peter uh, because Peter seemed to need a lot of attention. He would be considered perhaps high maintenance. And so Peter is there, and he's he's done some things, and and he says, Peter, I want you to know something. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. You need to pay attention to how it's worded there. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But when you're finished, you'll strengthen the brothers and you're going to be fine. But you're going to go through a sifting process. I thought it was interesting. The word ask, he said he's asked. Meaning that God has allowed what's going to take place in Peter's life. Just like God allows what takes place in my life and yours. All right? And now, now we aren't real familiar with that, that sifting wheat thing because we don't we don't do that. We don't even have, you know, we don't, we don't understand what that means as much. But we do understand a meat grinder. You know, and uh, my my buddy Spence down at Piggly Wiggly, he has great meat and and, uh, just a great meat department. And he tells me that as you put meat through the grinder, every time you put it through the grinder, it gets more lean. Now, let me tell you the good thing about this. Satan's desire is to put us through the grinder. He just loves to do that. He'll figure out how to do it at your workplace, at your house, at your church, at, at, the, at the ball field. He just knows how to put you through the grinder. He's good at it. And so, there he goes. He cranks it up, shoves you through, and you feel like you've been wore out, beat up, and overwhelmed. And you're going, dear God, why me? Here comes that high boob, just overwhelmed you. Didn't see it coming. Next thing you know, you've gone through the grinder. And that's how it works. That's his desire. Because he wants to discourage you and he wants to discourage me. And he does a pretty good job of it sometimes. Because the grinding part is not fun. But here's what I know once you go through the grinder, as my buddy says, when that, when that ground beef goes through about four times, the fat's almost gone. And it's really healthy to eat. So, what I learned is so I go through the grinder, I'm actually getting better. Just don't feel like it right now. But I'm really getting better. And that's the whole purpose of what we go through. That God would say, while all things work together for good, okay, that I may make you better. In the process of him trying to hurt you, discourage you, defeat you, I'm trying to deliver you and establish you. And so that is what we understand from this. His disdain, his desire, and also his disposition. Satan's disposition about uh, us is this. Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8 that he's like a roaring lion, seeking him he may devour. Now, we kind of get the picture of a, of a lion moving through the jungle, slipping through, trying to find that one person that's out there and, and, and stalking them. That's not the picture Peter had in mind. Peter was very aware of what he was talking about because he would go back to the graphic pictures that would be in his mind and what he'd heard about from the arenas of Rome where they would take Christians and Put them in the middle of an arena and turn lions loose. And the lions would begin to move around the the arena and and circle those Christians. And sometimes they would come together and huddle up in masses and back to back and shoulder to shoulder. And and those lions would circle and circle. And eventually one lion would head into the pack and begin to tear out a Christian and then another and then another. That was a vivid picture he had of a lion roaring and growling and stalking and as though they're there. And the sole purpose of those lions are to devour the Christians. Pretty vivid picture. Peter said that's what he's like. That's his disposition. He's like a roaring lion. Wanting to devour you. And devour me. And he uses those schemes and methods. He uses people and organization. He uses all kind of things. His purpose is to discourage our faith, disrupt our purpose, and derail our journey. That's all he cares about. He'll do it with good things or bad things. doesn't matter to him. It is not unusual when Satan attacks us. But he only wins if we quit. That's when he wins. Paul said, I have been pressured, but I'm not crushed. I've been perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I've been persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I've been struck down, but I am not destroyed. He said, uh, I've asked God to live me for throwing the flesh three times. He's not done it yet, but I'm still standing. Because he's told me his grace is sufficient for my every need. And so I understand that for Paul it was just another day in paradise. I'm not sure we would call it that, would we? Some of our days may not be like paradise. He said, but here's what I've learned. The second thing I want us to know is that the explanation for why me is the development of Christ-like character personal ministry and spiritual mindset, that those things may be developed in me and in you. As we look at this, it's, it's real simple. If you turn to Romans 8, just over a few pages, we know this verse, but let me read it to you. Here's what we know. That we are to be developed to look like Christ. Christ. To act like Christ and to react like Christ. So here's what he says. We know that all things work together. That means all things. That's not some things. That's not a few things. That's not the good things. That's not just the bad things. But all things work together for the good of those who love God. You say, Pastor, you mean all things? No, I mean the Bible says all things. Uh, It's not what I say. That doesn't really matter. But God says all things work together. And when Paul's talking about all the stuff he's gone through and all the pain he's experienced and all the things he's had to work through, he says, but it all's for good. Here's why. Look what he says. For those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. From the day I put my faith and trust in Christ, I entered a relationship where he had determined to make me look like him and for some of us that are slow learners that may be a real task because he don't give up but here's what i know he will work everything in my life to change my character to look more like his meaning he wants me to act like he would act to things and to people that's pretty large order isn't it to act with love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and patience and long-suffering. Wow. And yeah, some people challenge that in us. But you know, he said, I'm going to work on you until I get you where you do that. And then to react. Sometimes we are victims of betrayal or pain or abuse or whatever may be happening. And he says, I, I want you to react to that the way I'd react to it. And that sometimes is hard, isn't it? I mean, that don't come easy at all. And the truth is, we probably all need a lot of practice of that because the first few times we will not get it right. And so we find that we've got to be developed in our Christian character, our Christ-like character, to grow and show Jesus and understand what it's like. And the second thing is that personal ministry, that, that, that he says, I'm, I'm letting things happen to let you surface into the purpose for which I formed you. Let me take you to an illustration of the Bible in the book of Genesis to, to a young man named Joseph, who God's hand was on him amazingly at an early age. And uh, in the process of his growing up, he experienced one tragedy after another, one dilemma, one difficulty, one disaster after another. First of all, his brothers hated him. They plotted to kill him. One brother said, we can't kill him. So we figured out, let's hide him in a pit. And they eventually sold him into slavery. And here's this young man who had done nothing really wrong. Ah, oh, he might have been a little too arrogant. God was working on that, wasn't he? Uh, he might have been a little too self-confident. God was certainly working on that. Because when you're a pit and you can't get out, you realize, I can't do very much about this, no matter how strong I am. And now he's been traded to and sold to the slavery, and he's going to a place he's never been to meet people he does not know. To never probably see his family again. I cannot imagine the discouragement, the despair that he must have felt, the anger he must have experienced. As yet he had been done wrong and his life had been turned upside down. And yet he found favor and he found favor with a guy named Potiphar and Potiphar put him in charge of his house. And so actually he got elevated only to be knocked down again. Because he got falsely accused of something with Potiphar's wife. And he ended up in jail. Kind of like Paul said, I've been been struck down, but I'm not destroyed. He was thinking, maybe I see some good in this. Man, I've been faithful to God. I'm not going to violate this woman. I'm not going to do anything wrong. And yet he goes to jail like he had. And there he sits in jail. Interprets some dreams. Says, please don't forget me when you get out of here. Because I know Pharaoh's going to restore you. He got forgotten. Can you imagine what's going through this man's mind? He says, Lord, why me? Why me? You told me I had a purpose in life. You said there was something you were going to do with me. But here I am in jail and I've been forgotten. I've been falsely accused. I've been despised and betrayed by my family. And why me? Because all of that was necessary to prepare him for the moment He would stand before Pharaoh and interpret a dream about a famine. And the sole purpose of Joseph being in Egypt was to save the nation of Israel by saving his father and the brothers from a famine. Whole purpose. They say, well, why did he have to go through that? Because the truth is, he's a lot like us. None of us would have ever chose to go to Egypt on our own. Why would I want to go to Egypt? I don't like Egypt. I don't know anybody there. Why would I want to go to Egypt? But God said, I need you in Egypt because that's the only way I can do what I I fashion you to take care of the famine. And I got to get you to Egypt. And I know that you are too stubborn to go on your own. So I'm going to get you there, free trip through a caravan, then through the jail. But you're going to be where you're supposed to be. But the truth is, we don't see it that way, do we? We don't. We don't. We fuss and gripe and complain and get mad at one another and get mad at God and go, ah, you know, blame one another. Joseph finally got it. When he finally met with his brother, he said, look, I'm your brother who you sold into slavery. Well, they were scared. I'd have been scared if I was them. I'd have been terrified because the number two guy in Pharaoh has the option to take my head. He said, but you meant it for evil. But God, meant it for good. Wow. To develop our personal ministry. Sometimes we don't like that. But that's how it works. I think about another guy named John, who was uh, who was a pastoring and uh, the churches and doing a great work and. And now that Rome comes and says, man, we're, we're not going to let you preach anymore. You're having too much influence. We're going to exile you to an island where nobody will ever hear you preach again. I can't imagine what it must have been like for John as they took him and carried him, put him in that boat and carried him to an island and said, here, preach as much as you want. Nobody's ever going to hear you. I wonder what he thought. I wonder if he said, God, why me? Why this now? Man, I thought we were supposed to proclaim the gospel. I I, I thought we were supposed to reach people. And now it seems like I've been putting time out. Man, why me? Why me? But then something pretty amazing happened. I just want to read it to you. Because I I just like it. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of God's word and the testimony about Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet. And he had a revelation experience with God and Jesus. And he began to write. He said, he said Write down what you see, John. That's why I brought you here. You didn't have time when you was over there preaching. Couldn't get your attention, but I got you here. There's nothing to do but listen to me and see this vision, see these revelations and write them down. There's nobody going to interrupt you. There's nobody going to disturb you. Just take it all in and write it down. And the man who thought he had never preached to anyone again has preached to hundreds of thousands since then about the revelation of Jesus Christ. The development of personal ministry. And the spiritual mindset. That God really does have something for us. And sometimes He takes us the hard way to get us there. Well, there's a third explanation And that's the discovery of our limitations and the revelation of God's glory and greatness. The truth is, the stuff we go through as heartbreaking, as indescribable, as painful as it is, will bring us to the point of discovering our limitations. And finally, we say, dear God, help me. Because I can't do it on my own. I can't do it without you. I can't do it another day. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I, I, I can't make it. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. That's part of the problem. We're doing all the trying. Very little trusting. And he says, I, I finally have come to my limitations. That's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ. Who strengthens me. Not through my own resources, because they're not enough. As Job would say in 1315, even though he kills me, I will hope in him. Pretty strong. You see, what we discover is God's glory and greatness in the midst of our trouble and trial. I see it all through the Bible. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6... Uzziah was a good king, did good things. He was It was a good thing for the nation. And this man had died and now everybody's going, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen? What's going to take place? Is it going to be good or bad? And in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I saw the real king. I saw the eternal king. High, lifted up on his throne. Where the angels stood on each side, cried, holy, holy, holy. And, and the pillars shook and the place was filled with his glory. And I knew it was going to be all right because God's on his throne. I think it is time we come to realize as God's people, God's on his throne. And I don't need to be looking around at my circumstances, my situation, and begin to think that I've got to solve everything because we're not. But God's in control. And it's about time we come to the point of surrendering to that and quit trying to fix stuff with our own human resources. And resolve. And finally, we say to God, it really is up to you. So we discover our limitations and, re- and get a revelation of His greatness and glory. Worthy is the Lamb, as John would say in the Revelation. Worthy is the Lamb who's seated on His throne. You see, in the midst of all that was going on, and all the trouble and all the pain that people were experiencing in the church in John's day, He said, I looked and I saw a Lamb. Had been slain before the foundation of the world. It is in our trouble that we see the glory of God and His greatness. And that's why me and that's why you. And no, I don't enjoy it more than you do. I know all this. I don't enjoy it either. I say, Lord, man, this is And he reminds me, ah, you've been struck down, but you're not destroyed. You're going to be all right. Ah, I know you're pressed, but you're not crushed. I know you've you've gone through all this, but I've not abandoned you, nor ever will I abandon you. You'll never be alone. Man, there's times I feel like David. I look to my right and my left. No one cared for my soul. I've been there. And then a voice says, ah, I care for you, soul. I'll never leave you forsake you. A song, an older song that I I have one of my favorites. I find myself humming a little more lately. I sing it some, but you wouldn't want to hear me do that. So let me read it to you. I've had many tears and sorrow. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. I've been to lots of places. I've seen lots of faces. There have been times i felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know that I was his own. I thank God for the mountains and I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't have known that he could solve them. I'd never known what faith in God could do. Through it all, Through it all, oh, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Through it all, God's in control. That's why you, and that's why me,